think we're recording. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Hello. My name is Allie. I guess name yes. is Tori. And we're the Goomar Girls. We're the Goomar Girls. Goomar Girls. Goomar. Awesome. We gotta enunciate it or we're gonna get copyrighted. Goomar Girls. Not girl. Girl. girl whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Um... So happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving if you're in Canada and happy Thanksgiving and we anyway live in Canada. if you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you do, I guess, this weekend? What did I do? I was yeah. sick and I had a house full of kids and Are it was still, still really fun, but oh my god, I was so tired. Yeah, I, well, being sick wears you out. <laughs> I know. Billy's Are you still saint. feeling sick? Um, not really. I have like a sore in the back of my throat, but other than that, like I feel a little more alive than I did. You don't, yeah, you don't look. Really and I'm not sick. really stuffy anymore. I was really stuffy. Oh, well. And um, I'm whiny when I'm sick. So like Billy was laughing at me because he was like, I thought I was whiny when I'm sick, and then I was like lying in bed just going like eh, every like five minutes. <laughs> and five minutes is generous like it was probably like every like 30 seconds but <laughs> i was just you like, know what you need the I bell for billy goes billy on like the bell like just the like a bell. ring for help <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay i'm trying not to be whiny when i'm sick but I, i'm uh, so whiny when i'm sick anyways uh <laughs> i didn't really do much we went to my friend's house clarissa's house yesterday and we did thanksgiving there oh that's nice yeah well we're not really doing yeah we're not really doing anything until next weekend yeah so well i i guess it turned out that your mom was uh, she wasn't working well no i mean we're on vacation yeah yeah she's off now yeah I, I don't know. We with on honestly with the amount of like people who were in this house, like it would have been so chaotic to try and do dinner. And this house is so cold. So if we're doing it here next weekend, like just bring sweaters. When we passed when we went there on that weekend and mm-hmm. we saw how much or how much it grows on in just in front of the garage. Holy crap. Oh the weeds, yeah. Yeah, so how does he take that down? Um, there's like a weed killer that oh, okay. <laughs> that, like that the landlord the, has. I'm like the lawnmower is not gonna. No, they have to that. basically. If the frost doesn't kill it off, like the first frost will kill off all the bush, and then that they can go and chop the wood for the wood stove. Oh. Um, I might be completely wrong about describing that, but something along those lines. And then, um, um. If if need be, there's a there's a weed killer, farmer oh. grade that can be used. Yeah, because like, that it'll does... it'll all die off. Like, how but it kills that... everything. So <laughs> if you have nice plants there, you can kiss them goodbye. Because I was like, I remember walking there, but how can we walk through there now? Yeah, and okay. well, I was I was talking to Grammy and as usual. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll tell you later. Anyway, sure. <laughs> we have um. Oh, I have a, I have one story. Okay, and then you have one. Yes. Okay, but, but yeah. we're on a time limit, so this will yeah. be a speedy episode. 
I'll talk fast. <laughs> okay. So you want me to go first? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Because I was just sitting here waiting. Oh, you were making conversation. <laughs> um, I am doing my story on the Kentucky State Penitentiary. Oh, okay. Um, so once there was, I mean, there's really only like a little bit of information I found on it. And um, my main source of information, let me find it, um, was uh, from a website called frightmap.com. And then there was also the uh, corrections.ky.gov website, which okay. is Kentucky Corrections um, like website, I guess. And then there was also another one called southernspiritguide.org. So I'm just going to kind of go into like my notes here. I can... <laughs> um, okay. So the Kentucky State Penitentiary, it is a former maximum security prison. Here's where it's, what's weird to me is I found information that was saying it's not open anymore and information saying that it was still open. Okay. So I have no idea because <laughs> I, I could not figure it out. I think think it might actually still be open, but it's a ma maximum security prison uh, located in Eddyville, Kentucky. Uh, it apparently had the nickname uh, Castle on the Cumberland. Okay, so it inside. still uses as a prison, but not like a tour. You know, well, once, they... well, the one website was saying it's not open anymore and that it's just basically a um a popular tourist destination for oh, paranormal okay. enthusiasts. But yeah. another thing was like, no, it's still open. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah. And then there was also different information because like one thing was like it closed in 2013 and another was like, no, my wife works there during COVID and this was posted <laughs> in like end of 2019 or something it was, i don't know it was so weird yeah. um the dates okay. and everything nothing really added up i couldn't even confirm the date it officially opened because one thing said 1884 i watched a video where um one person said 1886 and then the actual kentucky website that um i was just talking about let me go back to it it says 1889 is when it was open so i don't know yeah. when it opened but i'm pretty sure if anybody knows it'll be kentucky's correctional facility website yeah so we're gonna say 1880s <laughs> yeah 1880s and probably 1889 maybe 1884 um it, i don't really know which one okay. but that's when it opened um and uh it was known for its harsh conditions and history of violence um, it housed some of the most notorious criminals in Kentucky, and it is uh, it is probably still a popular destination for ghost hunters, whether it's closed or open. I think people probably try and get in there for, you know, <laughs> yeah. readings and stuff. Um, it was designed to hold um, about 800 inmates, a little over 800. Um like I said, it was known for its harsh conditions and often criticized for its overcrowding and lack of basic amenities, such as running water and proper sanitation. Um, it was also notorious for its history of violence and numerous inmates were executed by hanging or electrocution. I actually found that they had a nickname for the chair, which was Old Sparky, which I think is probably a generic nickname for the chair. Yeah. But whenever people were talking about that one, they called it Old Sparky. Um, 
1981, it was the site of one of the most deadliest prison riots in U.S. history. Uh, the riot began on July 16th. Uh, 1981 and lasted for four days. Inmates took control of the prison and held 11 guards and several other Aww. staff members hostage. Several buildings were set on fire and two inmates were killed. Um, supposedly closed in 2013, but I don't know if it's true at this point. <laughs> I honestly think it is still open just because it seemed like the more I tried to look it up, the more uh, people were talking about like the process of visiting there. Yeah. And then um as for the ghost because it is said to be like extremely haunted um one of the most famous ghosts is a former inmate named james earl ray uh he was convicted for assassinating martin luther king jr oh. in 1968 he was sentenced to 99 years in prison and he actually escaped the prison in 1977 and was recaptured three days later he oh. died in prison in 1998 uh the visitors have been there have reported seeing his ghost in the prison's death row unit um some have even claimed to hear his voice whispering in their ear or to feel his presence in the room with them okay um similar story in terms of like it's just basically the same story of sightings uh, yeah repeated. um the other famous ghost was former inmate red snyder uh, he was a notorious criminal who was known for his violent temper and for being a member of the Aryan Brotherhood. And I had to look up what that was. Um, the Aryan Brotherhood notoriously is a notoriously violent white supremacist group and organized crime syndicate. It is the oldest, largest, and deadliest prison gang in the United States. He was sentenced to death for his involvement in the prison riot in 1981 and was executed by electrocution in 1997. Visitors that have reported seeing his ghost in the death row unit and other parts of the prison, some have claimed to even hear his voice or feel his presence in the room with them. So oh, that's creepy. similar stories, like people are saying that they see like apparitions um, or just like they hear disembodied voices and stuff like that. Um, I think Red Red wasn't his name. Red was a nickname. I think it, I feel like it said it was Orlando was his real first name. But I'm not sure. Yeah, that might be completely wrong. Don't quote me on that. But they called him Red Snyder. That's what he's known as. Okay. Um. So other reported paranormal activity includes unexplained cold spots, doors opening and closing on their own, and strange noises and footsteps. Some visitors have also reported a sense of unease or a feeling of being watched while in the prison. Um, <sighs> so those are the only two that I could really like confirm who they were. Um, okay. And then did they was... die? Did it say how they died? So I know I read that uh, James Earl Ray um, died from like uh, complications with hepatitis C okay mainly I like live like with his liver and kidneys but oh. i'm pretty sure i even put that yeah so um red was uh, executed by electrocution in 1997 oh, okay i always thought with like really bad death they always come back but i guess well they're just they were violent people um but then also there was there was some um stories kind of popping up about like there's an entire book on the hauntings, I guess, of the, um, the of prison. prison. Oh, yeah, but I forget the name of the book, and I didn't write down. Um, <laughs> but there was like there was like a lot of um, you know, justice for 
James Earl Ray uh, type of um, yeah things that I saw. I didn't really read through them just because that wasn't really my focus on um it wasn't my focus on the story wasn't like proving he was innocent it was just is he haunting um but there was there was some call into question of did he actually commit the murder did he was he just a uh, um an an accessory to the murder stuff like that and like you know trying to i don't know um, yeah sort of prove his innocence in a way but I don't think I don't know if he was fully innocent and just like completely framed or if he was just trying to say like well it wasn't just him he can't bear this whole crime by himself type of thing so I didn't look further into that because I was more interested in his hauntings than his life oh yeah but if you want to find out more if anybody wants to find out more there was quite a bit of information that you could always look through but it was mostly wikipedia so you never really know at least that I saw, right? I like Wikipedia. Um, I do too. I mean, people say Wikipedia is not useful, Reliable. but I passed every single class thanks to Wikipedia. <laughs> the teacher will else? let you know if it's true or not anyway. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I didn't look. Um, okay. And hey. then I do have another story about like an actual sighting. Okay. Uh, so a guard working in the late 1980s had a frightening encounter while inspecting cells in three cell house. Um, these particular cells had once been part of death row, and despite them not being in use at that point, they are still require they still require inspection. After examining the first few cells, the guard encountered a cell that was occupied. The prisoner stood in the center of the small space reading a Bible. The prisoner greeted the guard and he acknowledged it with a nod and smile before returning to his inspection. When he returned to his office, he asked his sergeant if the prisoner had gotten a meal. The sergeant replied that there was uh, no one in that cell. In fact, no one had been in those cells in nearly a month. Knowing how... Uh, knowing how thorough the guard normally was, the sergeant insisted on looking in the cell himself to ensure that a mistake had not been made. The guard and the sergeant approached the cell to find that it was indeed empty. A light layer of frost attested to the cell having been unoccupied for some time. The pair stepped inside and noticed that the temperature inside was quite chilly. The cell had been stripped and was empty except for a small Bible that lay open on the floor. Picking it up, the guard noted that the pages were open to the 102nd Psalm, and one single passage had been highlighted. It was verse 20. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to lose those that are pointed to death. He passed the Bible to the sergeant and shuddered as he read the highlighted verse aloud. Perhaps the spirit was trying to communicate with the guard. Oh, the guard so, must have freaked out so much. <laughs> I would have been spooked. Um, and then there was one little, I don't know if I accidentally closed it. Um, there was another little bit that I saw where um, it was, I want to say, I want to say it was like a January. Like uh, recently? Oh, no, I think oh. I found, I think I found what I was talking about. Okay, so what I was going to talk about. So on July, it was a J month. Okay. On July 13th, 1928, old Sparky saw it. I saw its busiest day when seven men were executed back to back. So it was a Friday the 13th oh, that God. this prison had um, seven what, executions back to back. That's really bad the, superstition. That was the most. <laughs> um, 
So I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the uh, uh, spirits that are stuck in that prison were from that day. But that was 1928 too. So like yeah, yeah. And they came back and haunted just because. Yeah, um, they think that there was a guy named Red Seymour, who I don't think was the guy from my original story. Was it? No. They were both red, <laughs> but was the last name the same? No, nope. uh, I don't uh. think so. Red Snyder. Okay. Versus Red Seymour. Seymour. Okay, so super <laughs> close names. <laughs> I think they were completely different timelines too, because I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't know how old Red was. Yeah. Actually. Okay. Um. But. So he loses a fight for life, is doomed to die with six others. The Thursday before had dashed the hopes of murder Orlando. He was Orlando. Okay. Uh, Orlando read Seymour when a judge overruled a petition for a sanity hearing. Um, yeah. And then just after 7 p.m. that night, the prison warden visited the cells of the seven condemned men to read the death warrants. The executions were slated to take place just after midnight. The newspaper described the scene at the prison on Thursday afternoon leading up to the mass execution. Corridor is jammed. <laughs> That's all it says. There had never... Uh, guards at the prison declared today they that never had there been so much excitement attending an execution here. The corridor outside the warden's office throughout the day was filled with relatives, friends, and attorneys of the condemned men. Um, Yeah, so... It, that was that was a that was a Friday the thirteenth, and then that, that was the busiest day that they this person had ever had. So that can't be good, <laughs> especially Friday the thirteenth. That is never good. No, that's a bad omen. Yeah, yeah. But I guess back then they wouldn't really. Not a lot of people believe it. I don't know. I'm only assuming. I don't obviously. know. I I feel like that Friday the thirteenth superstition probably dates pretty far back. I don't know. But do, do do you think a lot of people believe in that back then? Probably. Mm, I, don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of people who believe. But nowadays, I think everybody. Like, people still believe that black cats are bad luck, even though they're not. And that's no, why they're, they're still, just... like, they're still the most difficult cat to get adopted. Yes, people they are. I'm adopt them because they're scared that they're bad luck. Meanwhile, I'm like, give me all of them. Sorry, it's Casey. Oh. John let her in. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. Oh, so, are you done your story? That yeah, that was my story. It was that was all I could really find. I was trying to find more information on it, but I didn't really see anything. And um, where is this again? In Kentucky. Oh, okay, Kentucky. Okay. In Eddieville, Eddieville, Kentucky. Okay. So, yeah. and my story is quite long. At this point, I've kind of just copied and pasted at the end anyway so most of mine was kind of <laughs> copied and pasted that's why i cited my sources because yeah. they did all the work for me i just kind of <laughs> i mean everything was condensed down so much that i was like i don't know how to like reword this so it doesn't sound dumb so my story is obviously about murder um yeah you told me you were doing a murder uh, his name is John List. Have you ever heard of John List? I don't know. I kind of almost feel like I've heard that name, but I don't know. He had, I don't know, I'll talk more about it, but he is has he the victim like, or the murderer? 
the murderer. Okay. He has um I'm doing like a family murder and I I don't know. That was I've they he has um films on TV before and I have seen him on TV like reenaction obviously. Okay. But I'll talk more about that later. Um so the um this or the sites that I use is pretty much the same as what I always use, I guess. All oh, that's inter- interesting by Katie Serena, Wikipedia, of course, and history site. So he was born on September 17th, 1925. Oh, he's he... got a birthday with us. <laughs> and my brother's birthday. That's uh, your brother's birthday? Yeah. When your brother's birthday was that close to ours. <laughs> remember because you said that we would be what irish twins or something oh right yeah so he if i been was irish born twins, yeah. before the 17th yeah mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> so he was born september 17 1925 in bay city michigan he was the only child of german american parents john frederick list um and alma Barbara Florence List. Uh, Like his father, List was a devout Lutheran and a Sunday school teacher. List graduated from Bay City Central High School in 1943. Same year, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and served as a laboratory technician during World War II. So his father died in 1944. It's just a little bit about himself, and there's quite a bit. (laughs) After being discharged from the Army in 1956, he enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Harbor, where he earned a bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in accounting. Um, November 1950, he was a Kore- the Korean War escalated list was recalled to active military service. And that's where he met in Fort Eustace. Let's go with that. In Virginia, he met Helen Morris Taylor, the widow of an in, infantry, infant, I don't know. Infantry. Yes, that's it. Mm. Office killed in action in Korea, who lived nearby with their do- with her daughter, Brenda. So Helen and John married in December 1st, 1951 in Baltimore, Maryland, and the family moved to Northern California. Uh, and then he completed his tour after, in 1952, and then he worked, and then List worked as an accounting firm in Detroit, and then as an, and then as an audit supervisor at a paper company in Kalamazoo, where his three children were born. Um, during, and then so in 1959, he had risen to general supervisor of the company's accounting department. But then Helen started becoming an alcoholic and became unstable. In 1960, his stepdaughter Brenda married and left the household. Liz moved the rest of the family to Rochester, New York, to take the job with Xerox. There he became the director of accounting service. Um... In 1965, he accepted a position as vice president and 
stroller at a bank in New New Jersey or in Jersey City, New Jersey, and moved his wife and children and his mother to Breeze Knoll, a nineteen room has nineteen rooms Victorian mansion located moved at them Forest, into a mansion. Yeah, for located at four thirty one Hillside Avenue in Westfield, New Jersey, nineteen hmm. rooms. And there is a ballroom, a marble marble fireplace, and a Tiffany skylight. Mm-hmm. I did that I, is so fancy <laughs> to be able to afford that in New York. Yeah, like, he, he did. He worked for Xerox. He, t- I mean, he he was a vice president, so oh, eventually, wow. but then he lost his job. That's where it all started to. Oh, that's where go. it went downhill. Okay. Yeah. So, in 1971, he lost his job at the bank at age 46. No job didn't pan out. He couldn't bear to tell his family about the loss of income. Mm-hmm. And then he spent his days at at the train station reading the newspaper and secretly skimming money from his mother's bank account to pay the mortgage. So he's basically just leaving the house, pretending that he's going to work, but he's not working and using his mom's money to pay for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also embarrassed to go on welfare because of how he was raised as a Lutheran. Well, I guess. Welfare is not going to cover those bills. I can tell you right now. <laughs> no. So it just said that he was embarrassed what the community thought and violate the principle of self-sufficiency that he learned at his father's. Well, yeah. Um, That's kind of common, though. But yeah. Like, you see that trope a lot in, like, movies and in books and stuff like that or, like, in other true crime scenarios where, like, it's hurt pride. Yeah. I mean, it, this murder is pretty much that's where it is. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so Liz later. Oh, so in nine in November nine nineteen seventy four seventy one, Liz murdered his entire immediate family using his nine millimeter stair nineteen twelve semi automatic handgun and his father's Colt twenty two caliber revolver. So while the children were at school, he shot his wife, Helen, 47, in the back of the head in the kitchen as she sipped her customary coffee, I'm assuming with alcohol. Um, he went up to the third floor and murdered his mother, 84, in her bed above the left eye. And as his daughter, Patricia, 16, and younger son, Frederick, 13, arrived home from school, Liz shot each of them in the back of the head. I don't know. He's the thing with the back of the head, apparently. Um, well, that would have caught them off guard. Yes, they would have. They would have freaked out or screamed or reacted so, or something if they had heard him, right? Yeah. Or seen him. Um, he probably snuck up. He made himself a sandwich after that. That's so bad. That's Close. where it's like even worse like it's bad enough describing like what he did but then you know he's just completely unhinged if he does that and then makes a sandwich i know i've I've read so many murders where they they shoot everybody and then they make and then yeah. they help like you can't even food. like yeah you, like you can't even defend yourself in any way shape or form like you cannot sleep yeah yeah you cannot um, you cannot pretend you have remorse if you made a sandwich. I know because you're sitting there eating it, taking time, yeah. thinking about things. 
Um, so he made himself a sandwich, closed up both of his and his mother's bank account, and then went to Westfield High School to watch his elder son, John Frederick, 15, play soccer. Um, so he's still alive for now. After driving themselves home, he shot him repeatedly because a misfire evidence showed his son attempted to defend himself. So, he shot him in the car? No, he shot him when they got in the house. Wow. So, but obviously to, he defended himself. So that means he saw what his father was doing, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so Liz placed the bodies of his wife and children on sleeping bags in a mansion's ballroom. He left his mother's body in the apartment in the attic. And then he left a five-letter, five-page letter to his pastor found in a desk in his study. Liz claimed that he saw too much evil in the world and he had killed his family to save their souls. He then cle cleaned various crime scenes to remove his own pictures from all the family photo photographs in the house, turned the radio religious station, and left. Uh, he was not, however, willing to suffer the earthly consequences of his actions. The, mu the murder was not discovered until nearly December 7th, nearly a month later, due to notes sent by Liz to the children's school and part-time jobs claiming that the children will be visiting their ailing maternal grandmother in North Carolina for a few weeks. So he planned it out where they they so they so everyone won't know that they're gone or missing mm -hmm. but, just to um, let you know we have 10 minutes oh okay god um helen's mother was ill and had canceled the visit because of it so uh she, she said he said that he would have she would have been the sixth victim who um, his, his his mom was, it the was first his victim. Yeah, it was her mother, Helen's her mother. Her mother would have been. Yeah. Okay. So he stopped the milk and mailed a newspaper delivery. and But the, but the neighbors noticed all the mansion's room were lit up and day and night with no activity in the house. So once the, once the light bulb began burning out one by one, they called the police. That's when they started noticing. Mm -hmm. Police unlocked the window, leaning the basement, and discovered the bodies. They heard the organ music pipe. Through the intercom system, also found a five-page five note explaining the bloodied bodies were his family members killed out of mercy. He had saved the souls of the people he loved. The FBI found his car parked at the Kennedy International Airport in New York City, but never found him. Never found him. The trail went cold. He got uh, away? Yeah. Yeah, he got away because that was his plan. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. Alma's body was flown to Frankmuth, Frankenmuth, Michigan, and and then was buried at St. Lawrence Lutheran Cemetery, but the children and Helen were buried at Fairview Cemetery. Um they, so in nineteen seventy one, FBI later discovered that the travel list had traveled by train from New Jersey first to Michigan and to Colorado. He settled in Denver in 1972 and took an accounting job under the name Robert Peter Bob Clark on his college classmate, although the real Bob said he never knew him. From 1970 oh, so he stole, he stole someone's identity. Yeah. 
from 1979 to 1986, he was the comptroller at the paper box manufacturer outside of Denver. He joined a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for church and member members without transport. So obviously, so they, he was found about, I think, 20 years later. Was it 20 years? I don't remember. Um, so Did he like he, remarry and have more kids and stuff? Or no, he got remarried. He, he got remarried, but he didn't have any more kids. Can you imagine finding out that your husband had like killed his entire family previously? <laughs> I know. And also had a different name than what he told you. Yeah. And that he was like on the lamb. So he worked at a small firm called Mandria, Joyner, and Kirkham and Woody. So in May 1921, uh, 1989, an 18-year-old crime. Oh, okay, so 18 years recounted uh, America's most wanted during its first year of the 22 million saw Frank's sculpture. So that's the one that created what he would look like now. Mm-hmm. Um, he just used he just used well clay um, what he would look like. Um, he just gave him a hawk nose, a grizzled eyebrow and a horn rim glasses. Um, the so did he confess when they caught him or like how did they know he did things like make a sandwich he eventually did okay um where is that it's like long really down uh, i'll just get to that because i don't okay. know where it is right now okay we got five just, minutes yeah i'll go really fast um so he, the psychologist just thought that he would wear the same glasses Glasses he wore as a young man to remind him of more of the successful days. So a woman in Virginia, so in her next door neighbor, is the one that actually recognized him from the America's Most Wanted. Oh. Which was, so she was the tipster. She, she said, when she called in, she said, oh, I know a neighbor that's also an accountant and also attended church. So he did the same thing as he did back then. Yeah. Which was good for her. <laughs> that would have been hard. I'd be scared so... to do that. But I'll say, you know, if, if you're sure. Right. Yeah. Um. So Liz continued to stand by his alias for several months, even after his 1989 extradition to Union County. New Jersey finally evidence fingerprint match was list military record. So they used his uh they used his um fingerprint from the military record to fight from the evidence in the crime scene. But then mm-hmm. he eventually confessed his identity on February 16th, 1990. Hmm. So he eventually did. Uh oh god. I hear the dog. <laughs> was um, he remorseful at all? Like, no, he... he just honestly, he just want he he. They think that he has some kind of. They think he has some kind of mental health. He would have to in order to pull that off and live like that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyway, so he went to 
Um, hold on, I'm confused where I am. So to avoid sharing his humiliation with his family, Liz engaged in the same routine and dress as when employed, leaving home from each morning on scheduled and spending the days on interview and blah, blah, blah. Um, so he encouraged, so he, at the end, he encourages, he told them that he encouraged the children to get part-time jobs to help with the finance but he told them that it would just give them maturity and responsibility <laughs> um so they was... wouldn't get jobs and so he killed them is that what it no, was no he or... got job he told them to get jobs so they can help him financially oh yeah and that just um, wasn't enough yeah but supposedly that his that he that his wife married supposedly that he was forced to be married from his wife that is not an excuse. <laughs> uh, so you can always here. just divorce. Yeah. No your religion, you do not have to kill. This is according to the testimony. Helen pressured List into marriage by falsely claiming that she was pregnant, then ins insisted that they marry in Maryland, which did not require the prenatal syphilis test mandated. Oh, yeah, she got, she got syphilis. I forgot about oh. that. But she no, did not know. And she did not know until he knew later on, which was okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. By then, the pro the progress of the disease combined with her excess alcohol consumption had transferred her into an unkept and paranoid recluse, which frequently and often humiliated him, comparing his sexual powerness or prowess with that of her first husband. Was this um, the was the was this the first wife or the remarried wife? The remarried. Oh, the sec. Uh, this is the. So he's talking about his wife now. He okay. doesn't talk about his wife out like years later. Do you have a lot more of the story? I'm almost done. Okay, we have a I minute skip. and thirty seconds. Should we just start I a new recording so you can finish it? Um. Do you want? To? Well, I'm almost done. Okay, I think we can do it. Um, on April 12, 1990, Liz was convicted of five count of first degree murder. Um, at his sentence hearing, he denied direct responsibility for his action. He says, I feel that because of his my, of my mental state at that time, I was unaccountable for what happened. I feel all affected by this for by this for their forgiveness, understanding, and prayer. And the judge was up up unpersuaded john emil list is without remorse and without honor he said after 18 years oh god five months and 22 days it is now time for the voice of helen alma patricia frederick and john f list to rise from the grave he imposed a sentence of five term of life imprisonment to be served consecutively the maximum permissible penalty at that time and we may have to start over <laughs> okay we're gonna be right okay okay so now we're back where we were <laughs> it's only been like i don't know seven minutes <laughs> has it oh it wouldn't let me uh because we didn't we didn't pay for zoom so we, we weren't allowed to restart the recording for like five minutes uh okay so i'll finish over our previous recording so 
I honestly don't remember what we left off at. So basically his kind of, I feel like I remember you saying something about his current wife, like the one. Oh yeah. No, his wife that he killed. So there is, so his, so his wife, I don't know. I, I went so fast that I don't even know. Like I read it really fast. I know. Okay, let's just kind of break it down, though, just so it makes a little more sense to okay. us, both oh. of us and the listeners. I found who he married now, not that we're oh, slowing his... down. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyways, um, so I'll just start from where he got. So the murder was not discovered until December 7th. I'll just fast forward it a little bit. Um, a month later, and they read why he killed them. Um, in his confession, yeah. Okay. Um, he stopped everything: mail, newspaper, delivery, mm-hmm. every all the delivery. Um, so he went. So as we recalled, he went with the name Bob Clark. Um, he just worked uh, outside of Denver. He was still he he still joined a Lutheran congregation and ran a carpool for his church. Um, one religious mo- gathering, he met an army PX clerk named Dolores Miller, and they were married in 1985. Mm-hmm. So Dolores is the girl that he married after all this. Um, in February 1988, the couple moved to a house in Brander Mill neighborhood in Maldian, Virginia. Willis used the name Bob Clark, resumed working as an accountant at a small firm. Um, that would be Mandria, Joyner, Kirkham, and Woody. Mm-hmm. So, and then, so this all happened about 18 years later. So he remarried, the, like he he remarried a full eighteen years later. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. he married somebody else later. So the case went cold because they couldn't find him, but they knew it was him, obviously, because he left mm-hmm. that five page note. But they couldn't find him because he had a head start of a month, where nobody could find. Well, yeah. What um, did he and, put in the note? Um. Uh, where was it again? I had it. Oh, that he just said that there was too much evil in the world and that he killed his family to save his to to save their souls and that uh he clean that he cleaned his various crime scenes, removed his own pictures. Oh, that's yeah. So he wrote a confession for the police to find with the bodies. And yeah, and they just told them that? and they told him that his what who, who um that his that he killed his own family. Yeah, basically because he couldn't, he felt um, he killed them to save their souls, but he was too, but it was a sin to kill himself. What did that So it's not a sin to kill your entire family. Yeah. But it is a sin to kill yourself. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like there are certain lines that can be crossed with these rules and that's probably not one of them i think he just had i think he no he was i think with the pressure of not having a job um having the mansion that he had to pay for and he was too 
embarrassed to get welfare. That was not a reason to build your family. <laughs> I know. Um, but I also think because Helen was an alcoholic and she had underlying, you know, uh, mental health that, yeah, I think she he just kind of went over the rocks. <laughs> But there's still not a reason. I know. Your family. <laughs> so anyways, so so there's this guy named um, Frank Bender. He's the one that did his um, picture 18 years later, what he could look like. So um, as I said before, thing? yeah, the, yeah, he gave him a hawk nose, a grizzled eyebrow and a horn rimmed glasses. Um, they think that he would just, uh, um, where am I now? I don't remember. On June 1st, less than two weeks after the broadcast, Liz was arrested at Richmond accounting firm after a Denver neighbor recognized the description and altered and alerted the authorities. So, yeah. And then that's the neighbor, a woman in Richmond. The neighbor is the one that called. Because there were similarities of his, what he mm -hmm. looked like. Um, at trial, Liz testified that his financial trouble difficulties reached crisis in 1971 when he was laid off with the closure of Jersey City Bank. To avoid sharing his humiliation with his family, Liz engaged in the same routine and dress with empl when employed, leaving home each morning on scheduled and spending the days at a job interview or at a Westfield train station reading until it was time to come home. Um, so, and as I said before, he used his mother's money to pay for the mortgage. So he was also dealing with his wife's alcoholism and her untreated uh, syphilis, contracted mm -hmm. by her first husband and concealed for 18 years. Um, so that's, so everything in his life happened like 18 years apart, like his wife, his first wife had a different husband, got yeah. syphilis, and then, then 18 yeah. years later married him. Like yeah. how old was he? I think when they got married, he was, um, I don't, I, oh man, I didn't do the math. I'm not very good at math. Uh, he so he was forty six is when he lost his job. So in um, where was his I? first wife older than him? I think so. Uh, nineteen sixty nineteen. So around the nineteen fifties is when he. The nineteen fifties is when he married, Helen. So, and he was born in 1925. I don't know the math on that one right now. We could just do that math later. <laughs> um, Any listeners want to do math for us? Because we're not doing that right now. 1950. Hold on, I can do it. 1925. 1925. 25 years old. Oh, I didn't even hear you say 1925. Yeah, 1925. Oh, okay. So he was because born I thought in 19... you were just saying 1950, and I did, I missed the first part. No, yeah. So <laughs> he was born. Sense. 
he was married around 1950s and he was born 1925. So he was about 25 years old. When he married her. Yeah. She had been married previously and it was 18 years after her first marriage. She, she married she, him. He was never married. He he was never married before she was. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like she oh, was yes. married a full yeah. 18 years prior to her marriage to him. I guess. Yeah. So like she would have had to at least have been 18, right? Yeah. Wow. So when he lost it, yeah, they're about the same age, I guess. Was she a child bride? Was that like a common thing with Lutheranism? Because she was 47 when he when she died. He was about 46 when he lost his job. So they're about the same only age. only a year. So maybe they were, she was just hiding it from him. It could but then have he, been, un- unless she was a child sense. bride, she he could she could not have had a, it could not have been eighteen years. Yeah. Plus, it's also a weird coincidence that it was eighteen twice. That it was eighteen years prior. Well, then maybe that was wrong because I, I I'm pretty sure I got that one from Wikipedia. Okay. Um. Yeah, maybe. Either way, I just know. I just know else. he. I just know he, she hid it from him, the syphilis. Yeah. Also, I feel like 18 but, years is a long time to have syphilis. Yeah. But I don't, but I, I know she hid it from him, but I don't think he caught the syphilis. I don't think he had syphilis from her. But because she was untreated and because of the alcoholism, it kind of went, you know, downhill from there with his, with her mental health being untreated. Um, and then she, yeah, as I said, she kept comparing her first husband to him when they were, you know, sexual sex part. <laughs> In the bedroom. Yeah. Uh, that's That can't be a good feeling, but it's uh, still not a reason to murder your wife. So, and it says here the health deteriorate, deteriorated. She said nothing to List or her physician until 1969 when a thorough examination revealed the condition. Hmm. And then it says by then the progression of the disease combined with her excess alcohol consumption had transformed her into an unkept and paranoid recluse who frequently and often public humiliated list and then yeah comparing the sex uh, how they do in bed <laughs> uh so 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 he so a court appointed psychiatrist testified that list suffered from obsessive compulsive personality disorder and he only saw two solutions to his situation Accept welfare or kill his family and send their souls to heaven. Um, so welfare was an acceptable option as he reasoned it would expose him and his family to ridicule and violate his author- author- authoritarian father's teaching <laughs> regarding the car and protection of the family member. Okay, but I feel like killing your entire family is the opposite of protecting them. Yeah, he was a little cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, you, you want to take a, he was kind of, I don't know. 
I was going to send you his what he looked like, but I don't have it on me right now. Um, I'll uh, look it up after. Okay. Or I can try and find yeah, it. Yeah, while I talk. Uh, yeah. So on April 12th, as I said before, 1990, he was convicted of five count of first degree murder. Um, he imposed a five term of life's imprisonment to be served consecutively, the maximum permissible. Ooh, per- there's a picture the of time. like the entire family in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's chilling. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, list file. Haunted. haunted picture. Actually, oh, I'll talk more about it, but the house burnt down. Not, I don't, they think it's not. Oh, I don't know. It could be on purpose, but now our new house is built on top of the land. But I never mm. heard if that was haunted, but I don't think so. But the house supposed the house burnt down, but they don't know. Okay. I don't think it's on purpose. Wow. Um, List filed an appeal of his conviction on grounds that his judgment had been impaired by post-traumatic stress disorder due to his military service. He also argued that the letter he left behind at the crime scene, essentially his confession was a confidential communication to his pastor and therefore admissible as evidence. That's not how that works. A federal appeals court rejected both arguments. As they should. (laughs) No, that letter was my pastor's. You aren't allowed to read that. Therefore, it doesn't count. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. (laughs) No. If Uh, I send you a threatening letter saying I'm going to kill someone, and then you turn it in and I go, no, you weren't supposed to share that with anybody. Drop it. They'd be like, sorry, we don't have any evidence. Like, that's yeah. not going to happen. It is part. I mean, technically, it is part of the crime scene. <laughs> it's part of the crime it's... scene. But it also, like, they, like, I mean, obviously, they didn't have things like text messages and emails back when he was doing all this. Wait, yeah. did you say this was in the 50s or no? 60s? This is around, so when he got arrested, he got arrested around the 1990s. So. Oh, okay. Well, then they still would have had, like, was there, well, was there, was there not email text in 1990? Message. Was there email in 1990? <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I think so. <laughs> no Whatever phones. communication they would have had, they yeah, would they have been able emails. to get a warrant on. Wait, do they have internet? I thought it was our generation that had the internet. <laughs> You and I are different generations. What? Oh, fax machine. <laughs> You're making John, John cringe. <laughs> Do they have internet? I don't know. Just they like would have say. had dial-up internet in the nineties. Yeah, and then well, like I thought we had dial-up internet. <laughs> well, yeah, because nineteen nineties. You were the nineteen nineties. <laughs> I don't know. You I were. You were. Dial-ups. You grew up in the late nineteen hundreds. 1900s. Oh. <laughs> That's what the kids are saying nowadays. That's so old. I know. Thank you. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm just more confused. <laughs> I am. I was born while you were <laughs> influenced. Um. 
So Liz eventually expressed a degree of remorse for his crime. I wish I had never done what I did. Uh, I've regretted my actions and prayed for forgiveness ever since. I think this is when he got treated for his compulsive personality or, or whatever like he's it was. medicated during all this. No, he uh he was he so he the psychiatrist um that he was that he had obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So I think once he got treated for his mental health maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh he regretted his action and prayed for forgiveness ever since and when asked why he had not taken his own life he said he believed that suicide will have prevented him from going to heaven, where he hoped to be reunited with his family. <laughs> Murder <laughs> will also probably <laughs> prevent you from going to heaven because I'm pretty sure now, listen, I did not pay that much attention in the Catholic school that I went to. But I only went to Catholic school, so I think I've learned one or two things. And I remember very distinctly, thou shall not kill was the only rule. Not thou oh. shall not kill yourself. Yeah, suicide. It was, thou shall not kill, period. Yeah. Like, like you, can't, <laughs> you can't blame your religion on like why you did something that bad. Yeah. You just uh, can't, like, no, you did it. You just simply did it. You did it because you wanted to, because you were broke and scared. Yeah, and basically, it was an I... easy out. You were a coward. That was why you did it. It has nothing to do with what God will think. Because if you cared what God would think, or whoever Lutheranisms pray to, then you're <laughs> you're. If you actually cared, you would have not killed somebody. Yeah. So yeah, oh that's my God. True. Your dog scared me. I just <laughs> I just okay. saw movements that matched your couch. <laughs> A case. Okay, cool. Come on. I can hear your Okay, anyway, you were saying. Um, so he died of complication from pneumonia at age eighty two on March twenty first, two thousand eight, while in prison at St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton, New Jersey. In reporting his death. Huh? They should have sent him to old Sparky. In reporting his death in New Jersey, Star Ledger referred to him as the boogeyman of Westfield. And that's the end of the story. Hmm. But there's also, he was also on, I mean, this story was also on television, film, and pop culture. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say this was also on Jerry Springer. No, oh, no. He knew who the baby daddy was. He knew. <laughs> he was the father, unfortunately. You are that's not the father of this child. Oh, no, that's the real reason. Just kidding. Um. <laughs> Um, so you should watch the one that I watched. The was, documentary? Yeah, it's actually really, I don't want to say nice because that's not really informative. Good thing to say. <laughs> not killing. But I have watched the show. Um, where is it? Uh, List Murders. Wait, where is it? Based on the events. I think it's called The Killer Next Door. Based mm-hmm. on the events that led to the capture of John Liz was released in two thousand into twenty twenty. But I don't know if that's the one that I read. So he was on the story was on some of the film or the TV. 
It says over the years, List and his crimes had furnished inspiration for documentaries, television, drama, and features. Film example includes Savior, the season six, episode 16 of the television of Law and Order. And the 1987 film, The Stepfather, and its 2009 remake. I think that's the one I looked at. Oh! The 1993 film, Judgment Day, The John List Story, which List portrayed Robert Blake and the character Kirsten. I think that's the one that I read. Or, that's the one I watched. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, The America's Most Wanted, 2008. Um... Yeah. And there was like other stuff. There's TV and the investigation discovery. Your oh, yeah, worst there's nightmare. There's probably a lot of coverage on it. It was probably like one of the biggest stories during. But I like, I watched the show, The ne- A Killer Next Door. Oh, was have it you like ever a seen? reenactment or was it like a. It was a reenactment. Okay. Have you ever watched The, the Watcher? No, that has nothing to do with it. I was just oh. looking. <laughs> I don't think I watched it, no. I want to watch it. It's apparently based on the true story. The Did you know that? Yeah. No, there's I just... didn't even know it existed. Yeah, there's. Uh, it's just basically... I want to do a story on it. But it's it's just basically there was like a... um Somebody keeps leaving notes. And they said... And basically... It just keeps going on and then they keep sending notes saying, I'm watching you. I know, I know, um, I know what your family do every day kind of thing. Like, I don't know. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that. I, I heard it in one of the other podcasts, but based on the true story. That's spooky. I like when they're based on true stories. The one that I want to like see is... Um forget what they called it but it was like something to do with neighbor it's a neighbor thing um it's about that one that we watched kidnapped abducted in plain sight they they made a show about it yeah i forget what they called it they they have a show they have a a show now okay i don't think it's on anything we actually subscribe to but it exists (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that's the end of my long end of your story. My long story. <laughs> my long story. And that is the end of our podcast today. Okay. So we got. We don't have any more. Sorry. <laughs> so if you want to send in your podcast, or if you want to send in your, your stories, stories for us to read on our podcast. That would be great. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you got a podcast you want us to check out, let us know. <laughs> the email that you can contact us at is gilmoregirls at gmail.com. Okay, that's it. Thank Bye. You for listening. And once again, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. I can't believe it's October already. Oh, I know. It's like almost all the way through October too. I know. Well, no, not really. It's, it's the, the ninth. Tenth. It's the ninth. <laughs> yeah, there's three Only a more few weeks. more days, and that's half more. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It'll be three weeks. 
Okay. Hi. Are you calling <laughs> back? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll call, I'll call back. Uh, okay, bye. Bye.